Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Always Have Choices podcast. Today, we have a very good and old friend of mine. His name is Jeff. Jeff, welcome to You Always Have Choices podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I thought you'd embellish something else knowing you, but that's okay. Oh, it's fantastic <laughs> to be uh, unbelievable. Um, so I guess jumping right into it, Jeff, how did you get into the whole drug and alcohol thing? You know, um, pretty young. You know, uh, I'd say I started drinking in high school and doing drugs way before high school, junior high school. Started with uh, the booze and smoking pot in eighth grade and pills. And, you know, I mean, I was already shooting heroin in high school. You know, for a brief time. Really? You were shooting heroin in high school? That's that's tremendous. Yeah. Well, you're a teenager. Sticking needles in my arms in my mother's bathroom. I mean, it was insane. You know, when I think about it, I was, I was, I was young. I was, that had to have been like 1970, 71, because I graduated in 72. So uh, it was crazy. I was even doing a part-time job at a bagel store uh, in high school on the weekends. And I even had people in my, I think myself, shooting heroin in the bathroom in the bagel store. So that's how prevalent it was back then. You and everybody you were attracted to used drugs and alcohol. Yeah, if you didn't get high, I didn't know you. You were not cool. <laughs> I mean, you were like, forget about it. I mean, I, I couldn't trust people like that. So starting from the beginning, did it work for you for a while? And when did it stop working? Because it sounds like it wasn't horrible or was it horrible from the very start? Well, I tell you, at the beginning, you know, it was it was fun. I enjoyed getting high. I had to check out. I couldn't deal with life like a human. Little did I know that then, really, but I, I know it now. But, um, you know, what really happened was I moved in. I grew up in Queens, and I moved into Manhattan when I was 21 in Hell's Kitchen, which was a complete freak show in the 70s. And I fit right in because I was a complete freak. And... Uh, it really escalated significantly with alcohol and drugs. I mean, my next door neighbor was selling great heroin. I'm living in bars. <laughs> I'm doing tons of cocaine. I'm hanging around with people that, you know, I shouldn't be with. And quite frankly, it got so bad. Okay, now is when it's not getting, when it was not good, not fun. It was getting dangerous because by the time I was 25, okay, it was only four years, my mother got me into a therapeutic community and I was living in Ellenville, New York for 18 months uh, in this place, um, which didn't really solve my problem because they didn't address alcoholism. You have a drug problem, you yell and scream and all these encounter groups and they give you drinking privileges which was really insane when you think about it. Isn't that crazy? That's insanity. You know, but, but what the first it did time you told that story, I couldn't believe it. But what it did do for me, it stopped me from an express train to death because that's where I was going. So it put the kibosh on that temporarily, you know, but I, now I'm drinking like a fish thinking I'm straight. 
I'm not doing any drugs. I'm not doing any coke, no heroin, no pills, no pot. I'm cool. Yeah. I'm just yeah. drinking. You know? Gotcha. So with that said, when do you think it got so bad that you took the steps to go into Alcoholics Anonymous and get sober and live this new life? What what happened? Was there a particular thing that that went wrong that you said, okay, I got to do something about this? Well, I tell you, you know, it took about six or eight years of just drinking before I started smoking pot and doing the coke again. So one thing I did know when I did come to the room said if I drank, I would do drugs because I did not know I was an alcoholic or what that even meant when I did get here. But prior to coming, I was seeing, uh, you know, trying a million different ways to fix myself. None of it worked. But the last shrink I saw told, suggested, why don't you try a cocaine anonymous meeting? Because I was going at it like a, a fiend with that. And so I went to a cocaine anonymous meeting, never heard of it, never heard of AA, none of that. But I went and I was willing to stop using cocaine. They told me you can't drink. I said, toodaloo. <laughs> so now two years go by and I'm literally slowly sinking further down. And uh, I was with these two girls in a bar all night doing drugs and drinking and I'm in the apartment. Uh, God knows I must have been swimming in my clothes. And I went into the bathroom, for, I guess for whatever reason, and I looked in the mirror, and it was like a God thing because I just couldn't do it anymore. I literally just couldn't do it anymore. I, I don't know where that comes from because three minutes earlier, I'm killing myself with this stuff. And three minutes later, I can't do this anymore. So was that the moment? There was a moment? Was in the moment. Okay. I never had a desire to get high after that ever again. From that day to this day. And, you know, the other one will be 27 years. So, uh, you know, so tell, me, tell me a little bit about going into AA and Cocaine Anonymous. Did you grasp, grasp it right away or did it take a little time? No, no, I never relapsed or anything like that. And I was very, I was broken. And I was, you know, uh, had a lot of willingness because I never wanted to go back to where I came from. And uh, I really was afraid of alcohol because I knew if I drank, I would do drugs. But after a little while, you know, I started going regularly to AA. And uh, I still didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, I was doing everything they told me tons of fellowship and I was listening to my sponsors but I there was like something missing and I really didn't know what it was until here's how God works in mysterious ways because there was some girl I can't even remember her name or even what she looked like but I was going to follow her to this new meeting that just started at the mustard seed and it was a big book study and it was like a Joe and Charlie format I walked in there, I heard the message of AA, and I wanted to soak it up like a sponge. And I asked one of the two women who were facilitating that meeting if she would sponsor me. She was gay, so there was no conflict, and changed my entire life. My entire life was changed from that book and that woman passing that message on. I understood. I got to understand exactly what was wrong with me and what I could do about it. 
So what I'm to understand is you're saying you were in the program, but until you worked the 12-step recovery program, going through the 12 steps, that's what helped you achieve the happiness, the peace, the frame of mind you're in today. Yeah, I went to three Joe and Charlie big book studies with those guys, and Charlie would always say, you know, AA is a life-changing program, not a non-drinking program. I see plenty of people in AA not abstinent, but they're not. The problem is in my freaking mind. If I don't take care of my mind, I'm not doing anything. So I know people, they, they don't go to doctors. They smoke two packs. They, they're walking around on eggshells. I mean, that, I wanted everything I can get out of this. So you wanted you wanted uh, success you instead of because I've I've myself have been to meetings and I've also seen you know people speak and how they act and 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 their personalities I wouldn't want anything they had not one thing so I think is that what you're saying there are people that just show up for the meetings but don't do the work well they don't understand a lot of people I think don't understand and I'm very grateful that I do how sick I am. I know I'm very sick. The literature says it all day long. Many do not comprehend the alcoholic is a very sick person. I know I'm completely out of my mind. You know, what an advantage because I went through life for decades not knowing I'm out of my mind. I'm out of my mind. <laughs> I can attest to that. There's a woman last night telling a story to me and this other guy that she was coming from the doctor because she banged her wrist with a bracelet on and it was this and that. And, you know, she went to a the surgeon doctor this day. She says, you're fine. Don't worry. Don't, you don't need physical therapy or anything. And I'm turning around. I'm going, you have wrist cancer. It's wrist cancer, you know, because we go right to gloom and doom. And she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't have a sense of humor because she's wound too tight, you know. But I'm, I'm laughing because that's how I am. It's not a pimple. It's a tumor. Right, right. You know, and I know I'm out of my mind. It's a disease of perception. I'm swearing it's blue, but it was red. Good right. recovery has shown me how wrong I've been about what I thought about a million things. So I need to be sponsored. I need to get guidance. I need perspective. I've learned to accept a lot of help and listen to those who know better. Yeah, That, for me, has been the secret of my peace of mind. That that that's beautiful because it also helps me segue into what I wanted to talk to you about next. Because you know, as a good friend of yours, I see how much work and how you put in so much of your time and life into recovery. So, for instance, once in recovery, what what keeps you successful? What are some of the greatest and most wonderful things? that you contribute not only to AA, but your life? What are you doing differently today? You know, to sum it up simply is to think about others. I mean, I was just sucking the life out of the planet for myself, thinking I'm such a great guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I buy people dinner thinking I'm such a great guy. Yeah, you don't <laughs> eat alone and you want to eat what you want to eat. You're just so freaking selfish. You know, I had no clue to what's going on. It's all in the giving, you know, it, not only in AA, but in life, you know, to, to be, to think of how what I'm going to do or say is going to affect the other person. I never thought like that, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm trying my best to look at the good in everybody because it's so easy. 
to look at the bad. That takes nothing. It's like a no-brainer. I mean, you know, I could tell you how everybody screwed up and I'm great. You know, what is that accomplishing? It's a false sense of making myself try and feel better. I want to feel good about myself without the, the need to have to do that. Because the reason I had a drink and the reason I had a drug, very simply, is to change the way I feel because I didn't like the way I felt about myself. So if I change that solid, I'll never have to drink of the drugs. I'm high on life. Beautiful, beautiful. But going into it a little deeper, once again, because I know you, I see how much you give back. You, you, you always have told me sponsorship is one of the most important things you can have. Uh, service, you can't keep it unless you give it away. Talk about what you do for the community of Alcoholics Anonymous and for your own individual people that you help. Well, I'm, I'm always, when I go to a meeting, I'm always looking to help people. I mean, you don't have to sponsor people to help people, too. You know, I'm always looking to uh, mentor the younger people. There's a lot of young people in AA. A lot of people come over to me and ask me for guidance. Even my friends in Aruba that I've been going to for, for decades call me up for help. You know, and that, that's a good form of just giving back, you know, and, and also taking alcoholics to this, the program of recovery and seeing. Right. I mean, there's one guy I sponsor. I mean, I mean, I got a picture with him in the emergency room after he relapsed in a gown, and like you know, he's married and he's about to be a father. You know, you know. I mean, all kinds of things go on a whole life. You know, so um, it's really wonderful to see the change in people. But you know, even with service commitments and everything, I've learned to be try to be um, elder statesman. You know, there's other people, I've done a million commitments, you know, there's other people that do them and sit back and just be a, a, a guide and give help when asked. Not, I've learned not to throw my opinion on stuff unless it has to do with the group conscious. That's another story. Because that's, a, you know, I mean, that's just, I've learned to rely on a, on a power greater than myself. I've always believed in a God, never relied on anything. Mm -hmm. I relied on me. I'm going to bust a move. I got it. I'm good. All that crap. It doesn't work. It really doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I, I even had something scheduled with an MRI and I really didn't need it. And before I canceled it, I called my friend up and asked her, you know, what, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. You know, she agreed, whatever. I've just learned not to act on my own with many things. It makes my life more manageable and peaceful. I don't need to know everything. I just need to know who to rely on or ask. But I think that's fantastic. Two things. One, that relationship with God. A lot of people believe in God, but they don't have a relationship with God. A trusting, a faith that you know that if I do the next right thing and trust in God, that things can work out well for me. I mean, that's it's it's not written in stone, but it's been my experience. If that's what you do, it normally works out well. I'm and you, I, I'm a neurotic hypochondriac nut job. Okay, about eight, about ten years ago, I had to get the surgery, right? So they're wheeling me up with the gurney for the to the uh, operating room because they say you're ready, but they weren't ready. So they <laughs> parked me on the side of this big, huge steel double doors, right? And I'm laying out there, and then there's the button you push to open the door, which is right by me. 
Now, I'm laying out there for 30 minutes, okay, before surgery. Now, if I didn't have a God in my life, I would be worrying about worrying about worrying. I'd be a, I'd be a basket case. I'm opening the door for people. I'm doing stand-up, laying down on a gurney. I mean, I'm having a blast. That's the beauty of what the program of AA could do for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do understand that. And I I think that one of the greatest things that I'm getting out of this conversation is no matter what, you're not in charge and you should always try to find out. Like you said, I didn't need this MRI, but let me ask someone who can say, you know, yay or nay, or I'm, I'm going through a life experience that I don't have much experience with. Let me ask someone who has that experience. So I think that's, that, that's real important that, you know, you're not in charge and that you can always find the help that we may need in any life situation, in AA or out, you know. But the next thing I do, would like to ask you is, you know, one of the things that I loved in, in Alcoholics Anonymous was like, some of my favorite sayings are, this too shall pass, one day at a time, easy does it. Have you, especially in the beginning, any of those phrases, you know, stuck with you and that you use to this day, almost 30 years later? Yeah, well, two of them, uh, you know, this too shall pass, because everything passes, it really does. I mean, I found that I had hepatitis C many years ago, and I did the interferon river ribbon, which is a nightmare. The side effects are horrific. Most people could never do it, and I did it, and I got rid of it, and I knew each time, you know, it'll pass. Everything will pass, but the one slogan that really I love the most is from Dr. Bob, keep it simple, because, man, we could turn, uh, you know, dialing a phone number into a Warner Brothers production. You know, and just keep it simple. Just keep it Got simple. It. Just say less. Just keep, yeah, less is more. I learned that in, in, in sales. Less is more. I don't have to go through a whole song and a dance. Like, there's always questions newcomers have, you know, when people ask, why are you not drinking? You know, it's because I don't drink. <laughs> why? Because it doesn't agree with me. I don't have to go into a whole story because I'm not, right. I don't drink. What do you want from my life? You know, I mean, but. You know, I, I've learned to keep it simple because it works a lot better because I could get so deep and complicated with things. And it helps me help a lot of people that way because there's a lot of people that come in with, you know, a monologue when all we need is two sentences. I gotcha, I gotcha. And, and that brings me to the next thing. So what would you say to the person that's listening to this and they're just not sure? They, they they know that it's not working for them, but they're just not sure. They're afraid. They don't know what to do. What would you say to the person that, that, that is well, on the fence? The one thing that the literature talks about and that I've learned myself is contempt prior to investigation. I've been I've made up my mind about what I know with no information, no evidence, no nothing, pure fiction. I don't like that guy. You ever talk to him? No. I don't want to eat there. I don't like that food. You ever eat it? No. You know, so people do that real easily with alcoholism. It's like a main feature. So how do you know AA doesn't work until you work it? I've gone into many detoxes over the years with meetings, a lot. And I've heard so many people say, it didn't work. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, well, you ever get a sponsor, sit down, go through the big book, do what it says and help other people and do service in a home group and do pray and meditate every day. 
and tell me, did you do that? You know, no. So, I mean, you know, there's a program in recovery. There's people in AA who don't do AA. So, you know, it's either you do it or you don't do it, but it works. People don't work. The program's a boilerplate. It's solid. So you got to give yourself a chance because we outsmart ourselves very quickly. I've done it a million times in life. I've seen people do it in business, you know, and uh, if you if you're listening to this, you probably have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Normal people aren't listening to a podcast about drugs and alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I was going to watch Will and Grace, but what the hell? I figured I'd listen to this instead. So yeah. I'm in. They've always said 90 meetings in 90 days. Is that a good way to get started? Like, yeah, you know, you just gotta, you go gotta, in, walk into a meeting, listen. The whole ball game is complete surrender. You fight, you lose, you surrender, you win. It's just that simple. You're not going to win fighting in Alcoholics Anonymous. No way. Because, you know, I am my problem. It, I spoke fluid victimese my whole life. It's you, it's it, it's this, it's that. I mean, I used to think I don't have a girlfriend because I live in Queens. Queens was the problem. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that I was deathly afraid of getting rejected had nothing to do with it. You know, we're insane and we don't know it. That's the biggest problem is that you don't know you're insane when you're insane, which is why you need a sponsor. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, and you need to listen to a sponsor. Just having one ain't going to do the trick. It's in listening to those who know better. It's like, it's like people in AA, they get Derek Jeter as a batting coach. He tells you how to swing the ball, and, he, and they say, I don't, I don't agree with you. I mean, yeah, okay, because you know better. You know, we're nuts. We're absolutely nuts. And if you surrender, you're going to win. Surrender means to join the winning side, not lose. Jeff, I loved it. I loved your answers to, to my questions. I think you really made it clear on what to do and how to do it. And I appreciate that immensely. You know, I love you dearly. I've known you for many years. And and I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And listen, I hope in the future we have you again as a guest. And uh, brother, I love you dearly. All right. So uh, this is Jada Powell saying another uh, uh, day of choices gifts and books where you always have choices. We look forward to seeing you and hearing from you in a week. Thank you and have a great day. <music>